Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pal Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by our friends at Molka Sports. Find them online at malkasports.com. Rick Buecher, FS1 analyst, longtime NBA reporter, is going to join me. We're going to discuss what I think was kind of an underwhelming reveal of the NBA's 75 greatest players. Why did they do it the way they did? Uh, why did it land with a thud for many? What are the league's plans? We'll also talk some other NBA topics. What is the future of Ben Simmons? What's the future of Kyrie Irving? Lots going on in the NBA. We'll talk about that with Rick Buecher. Rick is also my partner on Sports PR Summit, along with Lauren Teague. And Rick and I will preview the upcoming Sports PR Summit on November 9th. Um, That's going to happen virtually. We usually have it in New York, but we're going to do it virtually this year. You can learn more about that event at sportsprsummit.com. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good, and it's always uh, fun to have Rick on. He's got a lot of good insight on the NBA, and I agree, like you mentioned in the intro there. I thought the 75-year thing was a thud, too. I just It was kind of hidden and buried. I didn't even really know what was going on. And then the uh, the team lineup was interesting. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of on the fence on how it came out. Well, and I'm always, I mean, I used to work for the Portland Trailblazers. I'm the biggest NBA supporter there is. Uh, I think Adam Silver is the best commissioner in sports currently. And, you know, I think nine times out of 10, what they do is great. This, I just, you know, I, it landed with a thud. So we'll discuss that and I think a lot of people I've talked to were a little underwhelmed by the unveiling. So, um, all right, let's get to some sports business headlines of the week. It's the World Series. It's the Braves versus the Astros. And I'm wondering, is anyone going to watch? Because the last two years of the World Series have been two of the lowest rated World Series telecasts ever. So in 2020, the Dodgers and the Tampa Bay Rays, lowest rated World Series in history, first time ever that a World Series averaged under 10 million viewers per broadcast. They averaged 9.8 million viewers. And then in 2019, that was the fourth least viewed World Series ever. 13.9 million viewers was the average for that World Series. Griggs, what do you think? I mean, you know, last year, obviously, we were in the heart of the pandemic. Uh, A lot of people were doing other things than watching sports. Most 
TV ratings have bounced back this year. Do you think the World Series ratings will bounce back? Or do you think this trend of the viewership declining for every World Series in the last several years is going to continue? Yeah, I, I think for MLB, I think they're happy with the two markets. You got big markets, which is good for them. But um, I just baseball has just been on the decline. And to me, I might tune in here and there. I'm not going to sit down and watch a big, long series. I'm not going to watch every game start to finish. It just doesn't have the draw for me. Uh, obviously, if we get game six, game seven going, I'll tune in more likely. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm not, I, I just got a kind of a bad taste. I'm not liking the two teams. So I'm probably not going to be tuning in the whole time. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you've got two, you know, Southern, Southwestern teams here. You don't have LA or Boston or New York or Chicago, someone like that involved. So we'll see. I mean, like you said, two big cities, Atlanta and Houston, two pretty good fan bases. I think Houston embraces their role as uh, villains. And, you know, a lot of people are going to tune in to root against them. And then the Braves, you know, they've got Freddie Freeman. They've got Dansby Swanson. They've got a few, you know, pretty popular players. But there's a lot of no names on that team, too. So you don't have the star power that you know, a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Red Sox have. So it'll be interesting to see what the ratings are. I think they'll be up from last year. I think they will be up, you know, over 10 million per telecast, but I don't think they're going to be up much. And I think it's going to be probably a bottom five watched World Series ever. So we'll continue to watch the ratings and uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, Headline number two, the Manning cast last night was the best ever. I mean, you know, I'm sure Peyton and Eli are booking the guests on their own based on relationships. It's not like they have a booker who's doing it for them. So, um, but you know, you had Marshawn Lynch in the first quarter. And as I tweeted out, I would pay top dollar to see a reality TV show with Peyton Manning and Marshawn Lynch. I mean, those two are funny. They seemingly have a great relationship. Um, Peyton had Marshawn on his ESPN plus. Uh, Peyton's Place series. It was just really funny. Then the second quarter, you've got Tom Brady. And, you know, I think everyone's been waiting for Tom Brady to come on the Manning cast, and it didn't disappoint at all. We learned a lot of things about the three of them. Um, Third quarter, you've got Sue Bird, former sports business radio guest. Go back and listen to that from a few months ago. And then fourth quarter, you've got Drew Brees. So, you know, you have two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time join the Manning cast who were pretty good quarterbacks in their own right. There was a lot of laughter and I just can't imagine Griggs. If I'm ESPN, there's no way that I don't make the Manning cast the primary Monday night football broadcast starting next year. I might even consider doing it later this year, but you know, they're only doing 10 of the 17 Monday night games. So next year I would be like, Hey, what do we need to do to make you guys the number one broadcast? And I really do think it's the future of, watching sports you've got these two you know iconic quarterbacks in Peyton and Eli they have a great relationship with each other I don't know that it's easy to duplicate but I think what they found is TV gold and I'd much rather watch that broadcast than the primary ESPN Monday Night Football broadcast that's on right now hands down it is just fascinating TV and we've talked about it before I don't even care who's playing football because it's more about the show. It's more about the guests. It's more about them going back and forth and having their mom tweet at them. And it's just everything about it start to finish is awesome. And they fine tune it better now. They're hitting the commercial breaks. They're making it a little bit more, you know, easier to watch. But man, it is just so good. And Marshawn last night, Tom Brady. I mean, the lineup is good every single 
week you're tuning in to see who are the four guests going to be. I love how organic it is. I love how Drew Brees brings his boys in to say hi. I mean, it's just like, it's like you and me sitting here talking. It's like these big stars, real life stuff. You see it behind the scenes. It's great. Yeah. And Omaha Productions does a great job of rolling in like old footage of Peyton, you know, with the big helmet and, you know, past plays of some of the guests that have been on there. I loved uh, the coach, uh, Clyde. I can't think of his last name from Tampa Bay, who used to be with uh, Peyton in Indianapolis. And he's got the TB12 uh, shirt on. And they're talking about how he's probably not the best model for TB12, but they're giving him a hard time. It's just very funny how they do it. It's, you know, you feel like you're kind of uh, inside the club, so to speak, when you're listening to them talk. And then obviously they give really good analysis of the game. That game was a stinker, but they still brought some pretty good analysis. I thought the, uh, you know, Ole Miss jersey that was too small on Peyton was also very funny. So they're always doing something. And, you know, Eli can give it back to Peyton. If Peyton had someone else on there, He'd probably be like, who are you to talk to me like that? But with Eli, it totally works. It's two brothers who, you know, are going back and forth and it's just great chemistry. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think that really makes it work is that brother relationship where they can totally bash each other and it doesn't matter because they've been doing it since they were zero. So they get each other. They know how to do it. They know how to, you know, ruffle the feathers. I think it's great. I love how they bring in dad sometimes and mom sometimes. It's just all around awesome. I'll say this. Everyone for years has tried to figure out what's the recipe to duplicate what the NBA on TNT looks like, you know, with Shaq and Kenny and Charles and Ernie. This is different because it's actually a, a game broadcast. It's not a studio show. This is the closest I've felt like anyone's gotten to that vibe. And again, I think they're onto something real magical here. And if I'm ESPN... I do whatever it takes to get those two in the seat for every Monday night football game. Let them do the same format. You know, they don't have to travel to the venue to call the game. Let them do exactly what they're doing and make that the primary ESPN broadcast and then flip what's on ESPN now and put it on ESPN too. And if you just want the straight broadcast of the game, you have that option. But I'd put the Manning cast on ESPN one. Yep. hundred percent. I think it's a no brainer. And I like how you said, it's kind of, everybody's trying to go after that, you know, the TNT vibe with Charles and Shaq and everybody. And what makes that work is the organicness. It's, it's unscripted. They just let them fly and they let them go. And Ernie tries to keep it in control, but it's what, it's what makes it fun. And people like watching that and it's not so scripted and so tight and it's just fun all the way around. I think it's great. And I agree, put it as the main broadcast and then in, and the alternate we'd be on ESPN too. I think that's a great plan. All right, history was made on Sunday. Tom Brady becomes the only NFL quarterback ever to throw 600 touchdowns. Now, there was a problem with that. And you may ask, what could the problem possibly be? Well, Mike Evans caught the pass, and he decided to give the football to a fan in the front row. Oops. Brady wanted touchdown number 600. He said he doesn't collect a lot of his memorabilia, but he wanted touchdown number 600. Of course he would. Who wouldn't? So how did they get the ball back? Well, the fan handed the ball over right away to a Tampa Bay Buck representative. But then there was a negotiation, right? And I guess the fan, as Brady said himself, the fan could have hung on to the ball and really driven up the price of what he wanted. But, you know, to his credit, he was pretty cool about it. And he did come away with somewhat of a haul. So he gets two signed Tom Brady jerseys and a helmet signed by Tom Brady. He gets a signed Mike Evans jersey and Mike Evans game cleats. 
He gets $1,000 worth of credit to the Bucks team store. He gets two season tickets for the remainder of this season and next season. And then I guess Tom Brady's giving him some Bitcoin because, you know, Tom and uh, Giselle, they have their own Bitcoin company now, or at least they're working with a Bitcoin company. So uh, the fan's going to get some Bitcoin. So what do you think, Griggs? A lot of people valued that ball at at least half a million dollars. Those things that I just described, I don't think they add up to half a million dollars, but you know, it's still a pretty good haul for a fan who didn't expect to get a ball when they came to the game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, what what a crazy story. I mean, yeah, he he buys a front row seat in the end zone and never thought that was going to happen. But, uh, you know, cool. I guess he gave it back. He got rewarded for it, which is cool. But, man, I, I was thinking the whole time, like, man, you could sell that on eBay. Make Tom Brady buy his own ball back for half a million bucks. <laughs> well, and you think about, like, go back to the Mark McGuire and the Sammy Sosa and the Barry Bonds home run balls and what those went for at the time. And, you know, the negotiations that had to take place when fans caught those baseballs. So, you know, this is a piece of history, maybe one of the league's greatest pieces of history, because, again, no quarterback in the entire history of the league has thrown 600 touchdown passes. So this probably does go for half a million dollars. So the fan probably could have held out for more. But look, they got some nice things and probably more than they thought they were going to get when they showed up to the game on Sunday. And, you know, if you're Tom Brady and the Bucks, you're like, hey, thanks, Mike Evans. Uh, how did you not know that that was touchdown number 600? And why in the world would you give that football to a fan versus handing it over to Tom as soon as he threw the pass and you caught it? Like, then we avoid all of this and it just stays in, in his hands. So, uh, you know, it's funny how it worked out, but it worked out well. Another side note from that game, Tom Brady was a class act and he walked over to a 10 year old who uh, has been battling cancer and gave him his hat after seeing, you know, a sign that essentially said, Tom Brady, you helped me beat brain cancer. And it was just such a touching moment. And it just another reminder, the power that these athletes have and how, you know, you can really make someone's life like that kid and his family will remember that moment for the rest of their lives that Tom Brady walked over, shook his hand gave him his hat and said hello. So uh, pretty neat story there. And the the broadcast caught it and it's gone viral. But I just thought it was a neat moment. Yeah, I mean, there's no dispute. Tom Brady's the GOAT on and off the field. I think he's just a, a, a class act. I love his uh, press conference afterward talking about it. And he kind of recapped what he did and how cool it was for him too. And you could tell it was touching his heart at the same time. And yeah, like you said, that kid and that family, I mean, that is a life-changing, they're going to remember that forever. What a cool moment. So like you said, there's so much more to the game of any sport when you look at the fans and you look at the people playing and how it affects their lives. It's uh, it's pretty cool when you see something like that. Well, and I've got to say, I like Tampa Bay Tom Brady versus New England Tom Brady better. You could tell in New England, he he just was, uh, everything was more tight-lipped and strict. And, you know, now that he's in Tampa, it's just a little looser. And and I feel like we're getting to know Tom Brady, the person, a little bit more. He posts a lot more on social. You don't have those Bill Belichick restrictions that you had around you in New England. And I think the fans are benefiting and we're seeing a different side of Tom Brady that we hadn't seen in New England as often as we do in Tampa. All right, next headline. Another guest from Sports Business Radio's past, Ken Griffey Jr. makes news. He becomes part owner of the Seattle Mariners. 
He purchased shares from another minority owner who still retains a stake in the club. And Ken Griffey Jr. becomes part owner of the Seattle Mariners. He played 11 seasons for the Mariners. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. If you missed our conversation from last year, I advise you to go into the Sports Business Radio vault and find that conversation. Griffey really opened up in a way that he doesn't usually open up. But, you know, this is great for baseball. It's great for the Mariners. It keeps Ken Griffey Jr. involved with the team that he played for for 11 years. Uh, I think he's going to lend a lot of wisdom to that organization. So all in all, Griggs, I think it's a, it's a great deal. And, you know, you don't see former players coming back for a minority piece of the team very often. Usually they go and they get in on another team like Dwayne Wade has done with the Utah Jazz or Michael Jordan has done in Charlotte or, you know, some of those examples. But the fact that he's part owner of the team that he played for and made his career with for most of his career is, is really neat. Yeah, I think it's so cool. I mean, in my era of life, I'm a Northwest guy. We don't have baseball in Oregon professionally. So Seattle's my team and Griffey, I grew up watching him. I mean, he's by far my favorite player that's ever played the game. So I saw that news too. And I was like, oh, perfect. I mean, it's kind of like you expected it to happen because it's such a good fit. And he's always been such a great fit in Seattle and and so beloved. So yeah, I think it's a great move for him. Great move for the Mariners. He's going to bring all kinds of insight and help to that team. And uh, yeah, that that's just awesome all the way around. Love it. My guess is Ken Griffey Jr. is not paying the same price for his shares that you and I would have paid. <laughs> There's got to be a personal services agreement in there, too, where they're like, hey, you're going to do this, this and this for us and be the face of our organization and do community appearances and, you know, blah, 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 represent the team. And for doing that, we'll give you the price of X for your shares. So um, but well-deserved, again, probably the most popular, well-known player in Mariners history. So. Um, and that's saying something because you had big unit and you had uh, A-Rod play for that team, too. So I think most people would agree Griffey's the most important player in the history of the Mariners. And so now that he's part owner, that's a really neat story. All right. Our last headline will stay in Seattle. The NHL Seattle Kraken made their debut at Climate Pledge Arena this past week. And boy, that arena looks state of the art, Griggs. We might have to do a, a road trip up to Seattle and... Uh, go watch a Kraken game or see a concert or something, maybe see a storm game with our friend Sue Bird, because, uh, you know, that's a pretty neat looking arena. Yeah, they definitely pulled out all the stops for that. And I mean, Seattle's a great market and I think hockey's going to be a perfect fit for them there. And uh, yeah, it was fun watching that first uh, home opener, the crowd going crazy, obviously, and having the fans back. So it's fun to have uh, ice hockey back in Seattle. And I can tell the fans are loving it. Well, and save this recording. What are we in? 2021. October 26th. Within five years, the NBA will return to Seattle and the Seattle team will be playing in Climate Pledge Arena, joining the Kraken and the Storm and whoever else is going to play in there. But uh, I think NBA basketball will return to Seattle. Now they've got that state-of-the-art arena that they didn't have before. And I think it's only a matter of time until Seattle has an NBA team again. Yeah, I, I think the reason, like you said, the arena was kind of the big push. I think Seattle was lacking that arena for an NBA and NHL team, and now they've got it. And NBA and NHL can cross over so easily with schedules, too, so it makes it pretty well uh, you know, ac- accommodated. And uh, yeah, I think you're right, five years, maybe even less, because it's, it's been too long. I think everybody wants it back in Seattle. I mean, Adam Silver did a media availability last week, and someone asked him about this. And He basically said, we need to get through the pandemic completely. We need to have things operating as normal. And once that's done, then we can talk about expansion. But, 
you know, he said Seattle's certainly on the list. And from people I've spoken with, I think it's a done deal. And I think building climate pledge arena was done. So with the thought that an NBA team would one day play there. All right, coming up next, Rick Buecher, FS1 reporter, my partner on the sports PR summit and on our media and social media training company. Everything is on the record. We're going to dig into some NBA topics. We'll preview the upcoming sports PR summit on November 9th. You're listening to sports business radio. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger here. In addition to hosting sports business radio, I'm also the co-founder of the consulting firm. Everything is on the record. Since 2007, we've been working with CEOs, corporate spokespeople, pro sports team owners, athletic directors, elite athletes, and coaches to help them navigate the tricky media and social media landscape. My business partner is Rick Buecher of Fox Sports. As part of a new partnership with e-learning platform Open Sesame, we are now offering many of our teachings via on-demand courses available on video. Courses include presenting your best self in a video meeting. Your personal brand is connected to your employer's brand. Pause before you post, text, and email, and scrubbing your social media. To take any of our insightful video courses on demand, visit opensesame.com and type in the words, everything is on the record in the search. That's opensesame.com. To learn more about how we can provide a customized training session for your organization, visit everythingisontherecord.com. That's everythingisontherecord.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Rick Buecher, FS1 analyst. He's also my partner on Sports PR Summit, and everything is on the record. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rick Buecher. Rick, how are you? I am doing reasonably well. I Uh, I know you've got the uh, little bit of the the cold going, so you've got an even better podcast voice for today, but you're probably not feeling great. That's, that's always, always good to look at the silver lining in any, (laughs) not feeling a little under the weather, but it's given me a great podcast voice. So, all right, well, let's, let's do it. Um, NBA 75 was announced recently and I love what the NBA does. Usually I think they do it better than most anyone else, but I was kind of underwhelmed as to how they made the announcement about the 75 greatest players in NBA history. Uh, it was kind of a mix of let's release this on social media. Let's put it out on TNT over the course of three nights. I just yeah. didn't think it was great. What did you think? Yeah, I, I agree. First of all, it wasn't even 75. It was 76. I, I mean, if you can't figure out how to, at least hold to your number. And this is the most difficult thing in picking any team you, uh, you know, whether it's, or any award it's, well, let's, let's pick two. No, pick one, like stick to your numbers. I, I don't care that the voting was tied and they don't identify who the, who the players were, but they ultimately had, they, they selected 76 players. And I, I that, that to begin with, uh, sort of mars the entire process, I believe, uh, or the uh, recognition. The second part is, and I can't, I've felt this for the last couple of years now, is that it it looks as if they are trying to do everything they can to make it, things up to their broadcast partners. They're tilting everything toward their broadcast mm. partners. So TNT and ESPN, 
it, the rollout was with them rather than sort of an independent rollout uh, by by the NBA. And then if you look at the voting, uh, the, the voting panel, which was uh, some 88, 88 members, I believe 35 of them were players, uh, f- uh, former players who actually are are among the 75. And then more than a dozen, well over a dozen, are members of the broadcast networks. And, and some curious names uh, uh, on there. Um, I mean, Stephen A. Smith is, is a big name. I don't know that I would have him picking a um, – that I would have him picking an, an all-time 75. Um, Rachel Nichols was still on there. She's sort of in limbo. Uh, I, I could go down the line, but it just – it seemed very – inclusive as far as very chummy as far as uh people that are in the nba or that are all-time greats and that were broadcast uh members and so it just it, yeah it didn't and then there was no uh, and i talked to a couple of people who were on the selection committee and they said there was absolutely no direction whatsoever when it came to picking, which in one way has always been the NBA. The NBA said the same thing with with MVP and and the the yearly awards, which I've voted on for some 25, 30 years. Uh, and so in one way, it's good in that there's no definition because it creates a lot of conversation and a lot of controversy, which the league, which brings more attention to those awards. But in something like this, I just feel as if it was all over the board uh, in the selections. And when you look at who was selected, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Uh, There's guys who had great individual accomplishments who were not selected, like Dwight Howard. And then there were guys who were selected – because of championship uh, pedigree. And yet there were guys who have great, greater championship pedigree, like the guys from San Antonio, Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, who weren't selected. Uh, there were guys who don't have pe- championship pedigrees and don't have great individual uh, achievements or not to the level of, say, a Dwight Howard, and yet they were on, like a Reggie Miller. So I, I just... I don't – to me, it doesn't feel like an all-time greatest 75 or 76 list. Yeah, it's interesting too because the ballots were not made public, right? So, you know, you've got – I like the fact that they had Michael Jordan and Tim Duncan and Magic Johnson and Steph Curry and people like that, Eric Spolstra and Greg Popovich who were voters of the 88. I I like that diversity. It's not just the media. but. Make it public, like you know. If you're, by the way, the the uh, joke of the week goes to Draymond Green, who hung a '77 jersey in Clay Thompson's locker, as if he was the 77th player on the list. Yeah. He, yeah. he just missed it. I thought that was pretty funny, and I think Clay has a beef. There's the championship pedigree, and sure. you know he's been pretty darn good over the course of uh, nope. his career. No question. I mean, look, he's and and good guy award goes to Clay because Clay wore the jersey around their practice. Facility. Right. <laughs> and and 
was happy to make a you know to, to make a big deal out of it. But yeah, it's a perfect example. Clay Thompson, uh, part of of uh, five teams that went or teams that went to the NBA Finals five times, won three rings, and uh, averages uh, close to twenty points a game, like individual achievement. Uh, Ray Allen has rings in uh, Boston and Miami. Uh, very comparable numbers, and he gets in, and Clay Thompson doesn't. And so there were there were any number of examples. Uh, both Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili have four championship rings. Uh, you could look at their individual achievements and question them, but uh, you know, in terms of all NBA selections. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm going to go, I mean, the biggest question that I have, and I thought Reggie Miller's reaction was a reflection of it. Like he could, he was when the, when the TNT, his TNT colleagues <laughs> said you were selected, he was like, he, he was, he didn't know what they were talking about. It was like, what, what I'm, I'm an all, wow. Right. That's great. And Dame right. was the same way. I think Dame was surprised. Damian Lillard didn't expect and, to make the team. And, and I, and I, and, and you know, it's funny because I, I texted Damien and said, congratulations, what an honor. And normally in, in any other instance, like he'll respond. He didn't respond to that one. And I think he, he honestly, I think he was trying to figure it out himself. He's been the underdog for so long. He's been the guy who hasn't been given his just due for some, so long. Right. I, this really caught him by surprise. Like this was, this was more than I think that he in his own mind could justify I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him, and uh, I think the world of of Damian Lillard and all these accomplished. But if I'm thinking all time 75, uh, the greatest 75 players in NBA history, I don't know how I could make an argument for Damian Lillard over some of the other guys that we have mentioned. And to your point, it's great that they had the uh, that they identified the selection committee. That's not what the hall of fame does. I think it's great that they had a mix of current and former players and head coaches, but I don't think it was very balanced. Uh, I don't think that there were enough international players, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, and Steve Nash were the only international players who had votes. And clearly they had players or coaches who had votes who um, who did not make it, um, who, who were not among the all-time 75 grades. So just a weird balance. And then they, they, they left it open, the original 50 uh, or the, the 50 greatest didn't have to, you didn't have to vote for the 50 greatest. 50 greatest weren't guaranteed a place among the 75, and yet all 50 made it. And while they added names like Dominique Wilkins and Bob McAdoo, who many felt should have been on the 50, there was nobody who was taken out of the 50. And a lot of people felt like there was a case to be made for another uh, Portland Blazer, uh, Trailblazer, uh, Bill Walton on second, you know, on a second look. Did he really deserve to be among the 50 greatest? He was a, a league MVP. He was a finals MVP, but his career was 
marred by injury. And while he had two championships, uh, there, there's a case to be made that he just didn't do it. Uh, he didn't do it long enough to warrant being among the top 75. So a number of names like that, uh, a number of situations like that weren't readily explained as to, as to how they got to this 76. So let's go back to the business end of this. So, you know, you made a good point. The NBA has been bending over backwards to make their broadcast partners happy. If we weren't in COVID, the way to do this is the way you did the 50. You bring everyone together and you reveal them in person. You know, you have them walk out from behind a drape and it's like, hey, here's Michael Jordan or here's, you know, whoever. And you make it more personal. You get them together. Like I just remember a few years ago uh, when the NFL did their living legends at the Super Bowl. And, you know, you see like all the great quarterbacks standing next to each other and all the great running backs and wide receivers, and defenders. And it just has a different kind of reveal to it when they're standing next to each other and you can see them. The social media aspect of this and the TV aspect of this didn't make it very personal to me. And maybe they have plans to do this at a future date. And I know we're in COVID and you know, we're not getting people together in big gatherings, but it just kind of lacked the human personal element. I agree. And there are plans, from what I understand, of, of getting uh, everybody together at the All-Star Game uh, in Cleveland this year. But that's the other and – that, and I believe that's also why they rolled it out the way they did and that they did it so early – in the season is because we now, as a result of social media and a result of everything being on the record, um, the ability to keep something like the top 75 or 76. I mean, this is the difficult, this is going to drive me crazy. I keep saying the top 75, it's top 76. <laughs> it, that's the problem with not keeping it to 75. Right. Like you're, you're inherently lying when you say the top 75, except it's 76, 75 plus one, um, is that the, uh, the fear of being scooped, uh, the fear of it being broken by someone else uh, now results in having to get things out there as quickly as possible and not have the same sort of buildup or presentation that you normally would. And um, I, I, I was just recently discussing this on, uh, you know, a part of our, our sports PR summit on, on the mighty network um, about media guides and the same feeling like the, the, the buildup to the season and receiving the physical media guides and getting the, the, you know, who's on the cover and the theme for each team and being reminded of that through the course of the season, like it doesn't with with social media and everything being digital, you don't have those same landmarks. You don't have those same physical touchstones that make each season feel like uh, an individual thing in and of itself. Uh, everything kind of moves. It's everything's part of a river that's just kind of flowing past you, right? Yeah don't have that same connection because there's just it's good in that the information can be updated and that it can always be current and it's very easy to access 
But the flip side of that is, is that it all feels so transient. And, uh, and, and I think this 75 is a, is a reflection of that, like came and went what's next. And for something as momentous as being named part of, you know, the all time greats in the NBA and NBA history, it just feels like it should be more momentous than it actually turned out to be. Yeah, no, I I think it kind of landed with a thud. And again, the NBA usually does it better than anyone. So the fact that this landed with a thud with many people, you know, maybe like you said, at All-Star Weekend in Cleveland, they'll ramp up the celebration and we'll feel a little bit more connected to these 75 players. But for right now, it almost just seems like it's at a distance and it's something that's on the digital realm or it's on social media for people to debate. But, you know, it's not really there. Let me cover some other topics with you. Ben Simmons, the saga continues. You know, this is the whole debate. And I know, you know, Daryl Morey, it's the whole debate of, do you let the player and the player's agent dictate how this goes? Or do you say, get your rear end into our locker room and into our practice facility? You're under contract. Well, what we've seen with this is he returned to the Sixers, but he was a distraction. He wasn't part of the team. And it hasn't worked out well. And now you've decreased his trade value, I would imagine. There's not a lot of other teams out there that want to pay that kind of money for someone who's coming into your locker room with potentially that kind of an attitude. Do you think the Sixers did the right thing by kind of standing firm and not trading him during the offseason? How do you think this plays out? I do not think that the Sixers did the right thing by waiting because – it, here's the reality. When a player doesn't want to play for you, you need to move him. And if you are if you are proactive in that, then it still gives you a semblance of control over it. Did you want to trade him? No, probably not. But once that player decides that they don't want to play for you, the, the writing is on the wall. It doesn't matter what the contract is. It doesn't matter what there's a no trade, whatever it might be. Uh, it, it's time to move on. And I, I think the other part is, is that just from a basketball standpoint, it, it had become clear that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as two young stars were not compatible. Their games were not compatible and a, a change needed to be made. And this is that this is why I never bought into the whole, the process of just collecting assets, collecting draft picks, and then keep you know, grinding and keep, keep taking lottery picks and talent until you, until you get enough, you know, young stars that somehow that combination is going to work because they're all young stars and they're, and, and it's still the luck of the particular draft that you're in. There's not, you're not guaranteed a franchise player in every draft. Uh, if you're picking, even if you're picking number one and you're not guaranteed that those pieces work together chemistry wise. And that, that's what, was missed here all along is that once you started to have issues with those guys playing together and it working and the expectations being through the roof, there needed to be some hard conversations. There needed to be some, some, uh, a look at the chemistry of the team, because this has been as much a failure as, as how Joel Embiid and doc rivers and, and the absence of Daryl Morey saying anything when, 
you have tough losses and you have disappointment is that you need to have these conversations so that you don't have guys going up to the podium and saying, essentially, yeah, we lost because Ben Simmons didn't take a shot. Uh, what, whatever, it, however real or truthful you think that is, and no series, no game is ever lost on one play or one shot. And certainly a team can never take the attitude that 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 is the case, much less express it to the public that way. Uh, it, it's a failure on so many fronts. And so, um, I, look, I understand this, and the and the NBA owners and the league is going to uh, is going to try to change this in the next collective bargaining agreement. I, I I assure you, the the big difference in this is you had a young player on a four year deal just signed a max deal and now he's grumbling that he wants out and the league is like well if if we're going to allow that then we're going to get every young player as soon as he signs a max deal now we're in jeopardy of them saying i want out so they didn't want to set that precedent but here's the reality they had already set that precedent because anthony davis in getting out of new orleans and right. going to L- and having that orchestrated it had already happened. And by the so, way, the same agent for those out there listening to this uh, clutch. So it's the yeah, same agency. Exactly. And, and the same agency associated with the player who really kind of introduced the player empowerment and the I'm going to manipulate franchises and go where I want to go. And that's LeBron James. Uh, you know, he, he was the catalyst for all of this. And to a certain degree, I, uh, I'm, I'm good with players being empowered and having a voice in where they are going to play. But it requires, uh, it requires more communication and more understanding and the willingness of teams to say, I'm not going to kowtow if I, if this player, if no matter how great a player is, and again, it always comes down to the money. You know, the reason LeBron James had the influence that he had is one, because he's, he's guaranteed that you're going to have a championship contending team. If you have LeBron James, at least in not now, I would say, but certainly in his prime, that was the case. And two, because of the attention that he drew and that championship caliber pedigree uh he added immense value to your franchise and for a place like cleveland that that meant a lot uh in particular Uh, but he also has left franchises in a terrible position once he left and so there requires a certain amount of discipline among owners and GMs to say, we're, we're not going to go through that. If we're not going to be partners here, like say Steph Curry with the Golden State Warriors, then you know what? We're, we're going to take the long view. And yeah, we may miss out on a championship, but we're also not going to pay the price on the other side. And teams and, and owners aren't willing to do that. I, I I'll give you Milwaukee as an example with Giannis or even uh, going back to Denver with 
uh, Masai Ujiri and, and Carmelo. And Masai sat down with Carmelo and said, are you in or are you out? And Carmelo wouldn't answer. And Masai took that as an answer, you're out. And I'm not going to be dictated by my best player. And that's why he moved that. He moved him to New York and took the best that he could get out of it. Now, Denver missed out winning on a, winning a championship. Uh, again, you know, that's debatable. But they didn't have the great fall off the cliff uh, experience. They got a lot back for Carmelo. In fact, New York experienced that. And so that's where I just think owners and GMs have to realize, one, you have to have those hard conversations. You have to you have to find out where your superstar player is or superstar players are and what their mindset is. And if they're not willing to be partners with you, if they're not clear in that, then you have to make the tough decision and move on and find a superstar player that you can be partners with. Because I, I look, player empowerment is not going to go away, but neither is the need for your owner, your manager, your general manager, uh, your head coach, and your player all to be on the same page. And if you're not, you're never getting to the top of the mountain. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. As some of you may know, in addition to hosting Sports Business Radio, I'm also the founder of the Sports PR Summit. We've been building something very special there since when we launched in 2013. Noteworthy people such as Adam Silver, David Stern, Jamel Hill, Grant Hill, Tom Rinaldi, Lisa Leslie, Michael Vick, Jeremy Schapp, and Stephen Ross are just a few of the names who have joined us on stage to provide unique insight. We recently introduced the Sports PR Summit Collective. It's a way for everyone to stay in touch 24-7, 365. The collective is the next evolution for our community of PR practitioners, media, and athletes. You'll find a counterpart day and night to ask and answer questions, share your inspiration, connect with colleagues, and celebrate victories. The technology that powers the Sports PR Summit Collective allows us to bring more valuable resources to our members and the industry. These include a members-only job board, a mentorship program, industry awards, courses in skill building, networking opportunities, and mastermind groups. You'll also still have the opportunity to attend our annual Sports PR Summit event in New York City, in person or virtually. And for the first time, we're also allowing access to students and entry-level communications executives. If you're a PR practitioner or a member of the media or an athlete, this is the community for you. Visit sportsprsummit.com for more information and to join the Sports PR Summit Collective. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, another topic I want to cover with you is Kyrie Irving. So this has been a soap opera, and we saw it kind of escalate this past weekend when there were protesters at Barclays Center. Rick, you know, we I don't want to turn this too political, but if you're the owner of the Nets... I, I think he's done the right thing here, you know, by saying you don't play half of the games with us when we're on the road. You either play all of them by getting vaccinated or you don't play at all. And then yep. the Nets have already announced that they're not going to re-sign Kyrie whenever his contract is up. Yep. 
I think it's that hard line that you just talked about where you've got to say, look, if you're in, you're in, but if you're out, you're out. Yeah. Well, I will say this. I, the, the nets have not offered an extension. Now, if he suddenly gets vaccinated and he plays, I think they could turn that around. And, uh, and, and I think that they're using that as a, as, as leverage, uh, to say, to try to push him in the direction of come join us. So I don't know that it's definitive that they wouldn't re-sign him. Maybe it's, well, you know, it's a sign and trade. I think they're leaving that variable open right now, but it is a very strong stand. And the only way that they would be taking that stand is if uh, Kevin Durant and James Harden were in agreement with it. And again, I believe that is where the Brooklyn Nets have had that conversation. And, you know, this is a very tricky place for Kevin Durant because he basically went to Brooklyn with Kyrie. I know that those guys are, uh, are close. I think you probably know how close they are as well. Yep. Your contacts. So it puts them in a very tricky position in terms of maintaining that relationship. And at the same time saying, Hey, you know, we're here for a certain purpose. And Kyrie is, you know, not Kyrie has decided that things, and he and he said it at the podium, there are things that are more important to him than basketball. Well, when you are paying somebody millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, and they say that that pursuit is not their primary objective, that puts you in a very difficult position or, or a very simple one, actually, as a businessman, which is then I can't pay you millions of dollars because that is your value to me. If you want to go fight other battles, have at it. But that's not our primary purpose here. And so we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. I just, you know, from, from Kyrie's position, the, the, what I find challenging or difficult or the mistake on his part is he just hasn't been clear on why he's doing what he's doing and what his, what the end game is, what is he trying to accomplish here? And because of his history in being rather inconsistent and vague and not clear on what his purpose is in many instances, uh, it, it undercuts his positioning. And we've often talked about this and it's part of what we do with uh, everything is on the record when when we work with people, which is, you know, how you carry yourself, how you present yourself in every facet uh, is building a platform. And if you are inconsistent or that platform, uh, your your purpose and your and your message and your image is not consistent, um, that is going to hurt you in the long run. That is what you're building on a day to day basis when you have the greatest exposure, when you are playing. And Kyrie has not served himself well on that front. And I dare say, like, I mean, just let's, what, what, what uh, marketing deals does he have? What, uh, what commercials is he doing? What, what, what brand image does he have? And I, the fact that he doesn't have anything notable now is a, a clear indicator that once he stops playing all of that will disappear why 
what would you what would you hire Kyrie to represent if you were um, a corporate sponsor out there? Um, I, I can't think of one. Well, and you make a good point because one of the things we talk about with everything is on the record is if you're going to take a stand against something, be very clear with what you want and what the solution is in your mind. And, and he hasn't really made that very clear. I know he did the Instagram live and he talked on there for a while, but you know, he wasn't super clear about, you know, if this happens, then I will play again and I will feel like people are listening to me and, you know, things of, of that nature. Uh, It's not even as clear as what Colin Kaepernick did. And it's certainly not as clear as what Muhammad Ali did. So you know, if you want to look at Kyrie and say, hey, Kyrie, like, what are you really doing this for? I think there's a lot of people asking that, including probably Nets ownership. So just so I'm clear, Rick, even though he's not playing, he's still getting paid by the Nets, right? Uh, that is their, uh, yeah, I believe they are still paying him. Now, the Philadelphia 76ers are not paying Ben Simmons, and they are fining him. Uh, so, or they have find him in a variety of ways. So it's really up to the discretion of the team as to whether they're continuing to pay a guy or not. And I don't, I don't know if Kyrie Irving is still drawing checks. I've, I've given, been given no indication as opposed to Philadelphia, no indication that they stopped paying him, but it's certainly within uh, it's certainly within their jurisdiction to say uh, we're not going to pay you if you can't play. That was that was what Golden State held over Andrew Wiggins' head. And in fact, I think the if I'm, now that I'm clear, um, the league said basically anybody who's not playing, it took the, took the onus off of teams. Anybody who is not playing is uh will not receive their game checks so now that i think about it based on what the league said uh i'm not so certain that Kyrie is getting paid because barkley said the other night on tnt as part of his rant was you know look this guy's sitting at home and he's making 17 or 18 million dollars this year i I don't know if that's true or not but that's what he said yeah and again i i do believe that it is up to the discretion of the team as to how it wants to handle that. But um, it's a good question. And it's actually, as soon as we complete this, I am going to be sending out (laughs) text (laughs) messages to find out the answer to it, because uh, I do know that the league announced that anybody who missed games as a result of not following, you know, the league's COVID protocol uh, would not be drawing uh, game checks. And Philadelphia has certainly uh, taken advantage of that. Uh, the, um, but, but that, that, that is a different circumstance too. They're looking at it as you're not participating with the team. Um, and Kyrie has basically said, I'll practice, I'll be available. And the, and the team has made the unilateral decision to say, no, if you can't play in all the games, then we're not going to have you play in any of the games. Right. All right. Before I let you go, Sports PR Summit, we launched it in 2013. We wish we were together in person in New York, but we're not. But we are going to do a virtual event on November 9th. 
and we are going to have some terrific conversations. I'll be talking one-on-one with Mark Lazary, the owner of the world champion Milwaukee Bucks. He's great. I've had him here on the show, Sports Business Radio. You're going to be sitting down with Craig Miller, who yeah. you know, has been the head of PR for USA Basketball for 35 years. 30, 30 plus years. Yeah. I mean, Zach is, uh, yeah. Think of the players no. he's seen and the, the personalities no. he's dealt with over, you know, dream team one and, and going forward. No, what he has seen, I mean, just think about the, the history of team USA and all the ups and downs that they've had. And the international, you know, potential international conflicts, uh, issues, et cetera, um, whether it's with China or Daryl Morey or, I mean, you name it, Craig Miller has had to uh, navigate it. And I can tell you what, when I just, I think of Craig, I think of the exact opposite of, of controversy or conflict. Like, Anytime I have covered uh, Team USA and at various times I've done it intensively, like not only did he have to walk through or preside over all these different issues over the course of the year and all of these huge personalities and superstars that have been part of Team USA, but he's had to make sure that they're available to the media. And I can't remember one time, one time where I was at a practice or I had a request for a player and Craig did not make them available. Every single time I needed somebody, uh, he made sure that they were available. You never once during Team USA had an issue where a player did not meet with the media and talk. And uh, I, I, I can't wait to have that conversation because whatever Craig did, however he did it, whatever, whatever stick he was carrying, <laughs> uh, he, he was able to manage all of that, uh, and flawlessly. What's even more that. remarkable, Rick, is that most people may not realize this when players play for team USA, they're not getting paid. No. So it's not like he can say, hey, you're making millions of dollars. Go do your media interviews. They're not being paid. So the fact that he delivered them every time, like you're saying, and they're not being paid makes it even more extraordinary. Yeah, no, I, I it, it is. I, I'm looking forward to having that conversation because and I never saw him stressed. I never saw him. You know, I It just it was a, a, a remarkable run. And when I think of Craig. I just get a smile on my face and I, and I, and I think of like all that he has seen and navigated and did it the way that he did. I just, I think there are some, I'm sure there are going to be some great nuggets that he's going to be able to provide in terms of how you handle crisis, how you handle big egos, how you, how you manage all that, because uh, he certainly did an, an, a tremendous job at it. So we're also going to have a discussion around the changing narrative of mental health, whether it's Dak Prescott, Kevin Love, Naomi Osaka. That conversation has changed a lot in the last couple of years. So uh, we'll be talking about that. We'll look back on your conversation uh, with Dean Stoyer and Chad Millman about sports betting. We'll look back on my conversation about the NIL with a few 
great folks there, including uh, Blake Lawrence from Open Doors and Alicia Jessup from Ruling Sports and Dana Redke, who's a a volleyball player at the University of Wisconsin. So if you're a PR executive, if you're a student, if you're a member of the media, you're going to be interested in this and these conversations on November 9th. You can register at sportsprsummit.com. We've got the collective now, Rick. So, you know, we used to do this one day event every year in New York. Now yep. we're keeping the conversation going 24 seven, 365, which has been uh, a game changer for us. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, again, it's where we started when we were talking about the digital age and about the flow of conversation and information and sports PR summit now has the ability to do that where, uh, it, it's, uh, the, the annual event has always been uh, a big occasion and a great opportunity for everybody to get, get together and uh, exchange ideas and uh, solutions. But now we have the wherewithal to make that available, as you said, on a daily 24-7 basis. And uh, and I look forward to seeing that that grow. And I, especially as... As we are in this age of uh, still living through a uh, a pandemic, um, having a, having that access and still being able to stay healthy is uh, is another bonus. Yeah, and we look forward to being back in New York in person in 2022. Rick Buecher, watch him on FS1. Follow him on Twitter at Rick Buecher. Thanks for joining me. You got it, Brian. Hey, it's Brian Berger here. We've collaborated with our friends at Parish Project to create high-quality sports business radio clothing, including hoodies, long-sleeve t-shirts, and short-sleeve t-shirts. Each item comes in five different colors and a variety of sizes. These items are super comfortable, and you can wear them on Zoom calls, while working out, or when you're lounging around the house. Sports Business Radio has loyal listeners around the world. We'd love for you to post a picture rocking your Sports Business Radio gear. Tag us on Instagram or Twitter if you post. Get your official Sports Business Radio gear by going online to parishproject.com. That's parishproject.com. P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.